Godhead. Our verse by verse through the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, so tonight we'll cover the first five verses of the first chapter. <coughs> yes. Uh, maybe two weeks per chapter. So we're looking at ten weeks. Maybe throw in one or two for a little bit of cushion. So maybe twelve weeks, three months. February, March, or somewhere in there. Uh, let's say a word of prayer first. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and the opportunity to study it uh, together. I uh, pray that as we go through this book that we will learn, uh, looking at the Thessalonians as an example of how we ought to be as members of the body, uh, seeing how they were trusting your word, believing it, and having it work effectually in them, even though they were faced with persecution, that we would... Uh, also believe your word and trust it and have it work effectually in us to be ambassadors for you. Uh, thank you for the grace that you give and all your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. So we will read the first five verses and then get into it. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father unto, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Uh, so it starts out with Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. Uh, these men are found together in Acts 17, where the Thessalonian church is started. And you don't see Timothy mentioned in the first nine verses, but likely he was there. He is, uh, we'll look at it in a minute, but he is, we were introduced to Timothy in the chapter before in Acts 16. So after Acts 16, he likely traveled with Paul and Silas. So you get to Acts chapter 10, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 10. It says, The brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went unto the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable men, women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So you see there Timotheus was with Silas abiding at Berea, uh, and Paul leaves. So you see these three together in this scenario. Uh, at Thessalonica, and they go to Berea, and then Paul goes to Athens, and later sends for uh, Silas and Timothy to meet him there. So they're mentioned here together. They're mentioned in Acts 18, verse 5 at Corinth. Uh, it says that Paul came to Corinth there in verse 1 of chapter 18, uh, and then verse 5, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So you see them traveling together in uh, Acts chapter 16 through 18. I don't think you see Silas anymore after this chapter. 
Um, and so you see there in Acts 18 that they were together at Corinth, and so they are mentioned in 2 Corinthians 1.19. Paul says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. So you see they were there at Corinth, preaching the gospel to the Corinthians with Paul. Uh, so you have these three men, just give an introduction to each of them. Paul course, was formerly known as Saul. Most of you know that. Uh, the first mention of him in your scripture is Acts 7, verse 58, at the stoning of Stephen. It says, they cast him out, speaking of Stephen, of the city, and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. All right, so there's the first mention of Paul in the scripture. And then you get Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. And Saul, yet breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Right, so this is your introduction to Saul. This is him being saved on the road to Damascus to persecute the Jewish believers who had believed in Christ. Uh, so that is Saul's salvation there. Uh, and he is commissioned later on in the chapter to go preach the gospel to the Jews, the Gentiles, and to kings, uh, which you see Paul plays out in his life. Uh, Silas, uh, we first hear of him in Scripture in Acts 15. He was from Peter's group, or the apostles' group in Jerusalem. Uh, he's mentioned in 1 Peter 5, 12. It says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. So you have Silvanus mentioned there in 1 Peter, uh, Peter calling him a brother. And he came from Peter's group in Acts 15, verse 22. If you know anything about Acts 15, it is the great debate uh, between Paul and the Jewish believers that had come from Jerusalem uh, to tell the Jew, uh, Gentiles that they had to keep the law. They had to be circumcised if they wanted to be saved. And so Paul disputes with them. He says that's not true, right? Um, they're saved by grace, right? They're not under the law. Uh, and so he goes back with them to Jerusalem basically to say, hey, look, this is how it is, right? You don't need to stop coming and telling the Gentiles that they got to be saved by keeping the law being circumcised. So you have this debate here in Acts 15, and they conclude, uh, Peter standing up and also James, they conclude that, hey, Paul, you're right. We didn't tell them to go and tell the Gentiles they had to be circumcised, so we're going to send Silas with you and Judas uh, to make sure they make it clear that we didn't send these brethren, uh, that they're not under the law. 
Right, so that is how Silas ends up going with Paul. And so you see it here in Acts 15, 22. Uh, it says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Right, so you see it pleased the apostles to send Silas and Judas, or Barsabas, with Paul and, Sil uh, with Paul and Barnabas, right, to let them know that Hey, the Jewish brethren there are not expecting y'all to be under the law. We don't expect that of y'all. We didn't send these Jewish brethren to tell y'all that. Uh, so that's why they send Silas with Paul to give that clarity. Uh, Timothy is introduced in the next chapter in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then came he, speaking of Paul, to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Right, and so here you are introduced to Timotheus. Uh, so Paul takes him under his wing right, and uh, mentors him. Uh, and so that is your introduction to these three men that are writing to the Thessalonians. So you go back to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timotheus uh, to the church of the Thessalonians. And so again, they were started in Acts 17 that we covered last week, uh, and you saw where they were being persecuted by the Jews, the Greeks that had believed there. Uh, and so that church of Thessalonians is started in Acts 17, 1 through 9. Uh, but he says to the church of the Thessalonians and God uh, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins all of his epistles with this greeting, grace and peace or grace, mercy and peace uh, be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the reason Paul does that is because God is offering grace and peace today. Right? That is something that Paul can uh, definitely say because that was what God is offering today. He's offering grace and peace through the gospel. Okay, uh, It's interesting to note that you see that great word grace and peace in uh, the same verse only 18 times in scripture. Okay, They're all in the New Testament and 14 of the 18 times is from Paul. Okay, He says it in each of his 13 epistles, uh, grace and peace be unto you. Uh, the other four times if we want to look is 1 Peter 1-2. Peter says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Uh, so he doesn't say, Grace and peace be unto you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, uh, Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Okay? It's a little different there. Uh, to you, grace and peace can't be multiplied because God is offering it all today through the gospel. Right? Um, 2 Peter 1 verse 2 Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So there again, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, the third one is 2 John 1 3. So John is more uh, close to Paul. 
where he says, Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. It says, Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last one is Revelation 1 verse 4. says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, and to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, so kind of a longer introduction there from John. Uh, but those are the other four times. And so it's interesting, you don't see it in 1 John, you don't see it in 3 John, you don't see it in Jude, you don't see it in James, and you don't see it in Hebrews. Okay, a lot of people think Paul wrote Hebrews, uh, but I find it interesting that every epistle we know Paul wrote, he says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, because that was his commission, right, the dispensation of grace. You don't see it in Hebrews, because Paul, I don't believe, wrote Hebrews, right? Um, again, you can... Uh, see that because of the content that Paul was preaching. Right? He was preaching the dispensation of the grace of God, so it would make sense that he would write, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father right? and the Lord Jesus Christ because that is what Paul was preaching, grace. Uh, so that is our first verse. That is Paul's introduction there. Uh, verse 2, he says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And so they give thanks to God always for you. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he says the same thing. Uh, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Right, so he's giving thanks for them because of their faith, right, because of the charity that they've shown. Okay, so he's giving thanks always for them. Uh, this is a pattern that you see with Paul in a lot of his epistles where he gives thanks for those that he is writing to. Uh, you see it in Romans 1.8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Uh, so similar to the Thessalonians, uh, where the gospel was preached from Macedonia, from the Thessalonians, Paul says, I give thanks to you for that. Same thing here in Romans. Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I give thanks to God for you, right, and for the testimony that they had. Philippians 1 verse 3 uh, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Right, so there again, the Philippians, he's thanking God for the Philippians. Uh, so that's a pattern that you see in Paul and some application you could take. You should be thankful for other brethren, right, especially those who are ministering, who have a good testimony of faith in preaching the gospel. Right? You should be thankful for those people doing uh, the work of the Lord, being faithful ministers, right? being faithful stewards. Uh, and so you see that pattern of Paul giving thanks for other believers. Uh, he says, making mention of you in our prayers. Uh, thanksgiving is a part of prayer, right? It's a function of prayer, right? Use prayer to give thanks, right, to God. Uh, so you see that uh, Paul gives thanks through prayer for the Thessalonians. Uh, verse 3, he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So that remembering without ceasing, again, doesn't mean that he never ceases to think of them or remember them. It just means that they are constant upon his mind. Right? He's often thinking of them right, and giving thanks for them. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. 
says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. So there again, you see that without ceasing, uh, they're thankful to God for the Thessalonians. All right, so he's remembering them without ceasing. They're constant upon his mind. All right, he's thinking about them often, <clears throat> thanking God for them often. Uh, and he says he's thankful for their faith, work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you have these three. All right, faith, hope, charity. The greatest of these is charity. And so you see Paul mention those three things here in 1 Thessalonians. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and the patience of hope. So the work of faith is their believing God, believing his word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul gives thanks for them uh, without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Right? So their work of faith is believing the word of God, because it works in them and out of them. Right? Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Their faith, their work of faith, is going to come through the word of God and them believing it and hearing it. Uh, so he's giving thanks for their uh, work of faith. Uh, he gives thanks for their labor of love. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10, he says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So they had a testimony of having a labor of love, right, for the brethren. Uh, he says, you're taught of God to love one another, and I come into his love toward us, and that while we get sinners, Christ died for us. Right? We are taught of God how to love uh, and what that means. Uh, but he says, you're already doing it. Right? So they already had that testimony of that labor of love, and Paul's prayer is that you just increase in it more and more. Right? Continue to do it. Continue to grow in that is what he's praying for the Thessalonians. Uh, and then you have their, or also you have uh, their labor of love. He would have heard from Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 6, uh, when Timothy brought back the report. It says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. So you see, Timothy brought back this report that they had faith, charity right so when timothy went to check on them he saw the work they were doing right so he brings that back to paul and again that's what paul is addressing here in these first three chapters right he's giving thanks for the thessalonians for their work of faith and their labor of love uh, paul also likely would have experienced their labor of love himself back there in Acts 17 Because again, the Thessalonians faced persecution when Paul went to them and preached the gospel. Uh, verse 4 says, Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the base resort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason of the other, they let them go. 
And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night, and to Berea, who coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. So I find it hard to believe when this is happening that these Jews are looking for Paul. They're going to beat Jason, right, assault his house to try to draw out Paul because they knew that Jason had accepted them. I doubt Paul was like, well, you take the beating for me, I'm just going to hide in a corner, right? Knowing what we know from Paul and his boldness and the persecution that he faced, it was probably the Thessalonians helping Paul, right? Saying, no, don't go out there, we'll take care of you, you know, it's fine. Uh, once it gets dark, we'll help you escape because that's what happens. Once it gets dark, you see that the brethren sent Paul and Silas away. Uh, so he likely experienced this labor of love that he's writing uh, about here in 1 Thessalonians 2. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, so you have their work of faith, their labor of love, and then the patience of hope. So again, the Thessalonians were going through persecution. And it's your hope, your hope of glory, that gives you patience and endurance uh, to be able to endure persecution. Romans 8, verse 18 through 25. Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, what if he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. All right, so you think about that patience of hope. Okay, that hope comes from knowing your hope of glory, right? Knowing that you have a promise of the redemption of this body, that you have salvation, right? That you have a position in heavenly places, and that gives you patience to endure through persecution, right? And so again, the Thessalonians had showed this. They were facing persecution, but yet they were standing strong in the Word of God, right? And being an example uh, and sharing the gospel. And so Paul is again giving thanks for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. So again, you see those three things there, faith, love, uh, and hope. Uh, but back to 1 Thessalonians, it says verse 3, verse 4. He says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. So here you have the Calvinism, right? Uh, the Thessalonians had faith. So you look at verse 8, it says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. So again, they were known for their faith. Uh, we've read 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where he says, When you heard the word of God, you received it, and you believed it. Right? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.6, Timothy brought back the report that they uh, had good tidings of your faith and charity. Right, so again, they were people who had faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Okay, you don't have faith by election. Okay, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You then have to choose what to do with the word of God once you've heard it. Um, and they made the choice to believe the gospel after hearing it. Okay, this is how salvation happens. Again, you can go to Acts 17. 
verse 2 through 4. So we read verse 5 through 10 a while ago. Verse 2 through 4 says, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. All right, so you have Paul preaching the gospel, right, preaching Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, and people believed it. Okay, that's how people are saved. They hear the gospel, and then they choose whether or not to believe it. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 details how salvation happens. So very clearly, uh, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. So again, you have to hear the word of truth before you can trust it, before you can believe it. Uh, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Right, so you hear the gospel, you believe it, you're sealed. Okay, that's the process of salvation. Calvinism says you're chosen, you're given faith by the Spirit, that makes you believe it, then you're saved. Okay, which is not the process you find in Scripture. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. So the second epistle of Thessalonians. <clears throat> Paul says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, <clears throat> whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, from the beginning, you were chosen you to salvation, not through election, but through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So how is one chosen to salvation? It's through their belief. Okay. Uh, how are they called? Well, by the Spirit, right, calling them. Uh, well, it's by the Word of God calling them, right? The Spirit calling them through the Word. Word of God is what he says here. You were called by our gospel. That's what he says in verse 14 to the attaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see here, you're chosen to salvation by whether or not you believe it. Okay? Uh, you're called by the gospel. Okay? That's how salvation works. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, they were chosen from the beginning. Uh, one thing you could say here is they were chosen to hear the gospel. Uh, back in Acts 16, 9-10, It says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So the Thessalonians were chosen to hear the gospel. Right? Paul has this vision to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. Uh, but that wasn't unique to the Thessalonians. It wasn't like they alone were chosen to hear the gospel and God chose them. Uh, because in Colossians 1, verse 5 through 6, Paul says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bring it forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. Right, so Paul says the word of God at this time had gone in all the world. 
Right, so it wasn't specific to the Thessalonians. Yes, God called Paul to go to Thessalonians, uh, to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel, but he called him to go to the world, right? Uh, so that wasn't unique to them. Also, in Macedonia, you had those that didn't believe. So back there in Acts 17, uh, we saw verse 2 through 4 where you had Greeks that believed and uh, chief women, but then you had the next verse, verse 5, where many of the Jews did not believe, right? Uh, so again, you see that choice there. Some did, some didn't, okay? Okay. Uh, Another thing about election is, again, God chose you to salvation by trusting the gospel. Right? That's how you are chosen. You are elect if you're in the elect. The elect is Christ. Okay, Isaiah 42.1, you see two people that are called elect in Scripture, or two entities. One is Israel, which you are not. Right? You're a part of the new body. And then the other is Christ. Isaiah 42, verse 1, it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So back there in Isaiah 42, 1, we see Christ is God's elect. Uh, and so the Thessalonians were in Christ, right? The very first verse says that, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father, and in Christ Jesus. Okay? Ephesians 1, verse 4, It says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. All right, so similar to 2 Thessalonians 2.13, he chose you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's how you get saved. Okay, that's how you get salvation. Uh, what he's saying there is God chose the way for you to be saved. Okay, you don't decide how you're saved. All right, that is God's doing. And he chose that you're saved by faith in what Christ did. Right? He did all the work. And he says, you believe that if you want to be saved. If you don't believe that, you're going to be judged. Right? So you see, God is sovereign in that. Right? He chose how salvation works, how it's going to be delivered to humanity. We had no choice in that. Our choice is whether or not we're going to believe God. Uh, so you see, God is sovereign. Right? But he's not picking and choosing who believes and who doesn't. Right? He picked the way salvation happens. It's up to you whether or not you believe it. Uh, so here in Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him. Right? You have to be in him if you want salvation. How do you get in him? By trusting the gospel. Right? Uh, so that's Ephesians 1 verse 4. Uh, if you read on down through 7, it says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So again, it's the good pleasure of his will. He chose how this happened. Right? You are predestined in Christ if you want salvation. Uh, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Right? You have redemption through his blood, not through your election. Okay? Colossians 3, 10-12. He says, Ye have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. 
So these people are already saved, right? He's telling them, you have put on the new man, which is the body of Christ, right? Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, or free. Right? That's the body of Christ. No Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female. Then the next verse, he says, put on therefore, right? Therefore, meaning because you have put on the new man, because you're in Christ, put on therefore as the elect of God. So they're elect of God because they're in Christ, right? They weren't elect before they were in Christ, okay, is the point there, All right? So put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, All right? So he goes on to talk about how they should act, being the elect of God, because they are in Christ. So you have to be in Christ, in the elect one, if you want to be part of the elect, okay? Uh, it's not something that God picked and choose before you were ever born, right? Because then you were saved before Christ ever died, right? Uh, which is not how that works. You're saved upon faith in the gospel. Also here in Thessalonians, he says, knowing brethren, beloved, your election of God. Uh, well, the only person that is beloved of God that is not saved is Jesus Christ. Right? So similar to Christ being the elect, he is also the beloved son. In Matthew 3.17, when he's baptized and is uh, coming out of the water, the Spirit descends on him, he says, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, Matthew 12.18 talks about him as the beloved Son whom God chose. Right, so Christ is the beloved. Right? He's the beloved Son. He's the elect. In Ephesians 1, verse 6, we saw that you are accepted in the beloved. Right? In other words, you're accepted in Christ, is what that means. Okay, Because of... Uh, forgiveness through his blood, right in your faith in that. Ephesians 4.32 says you're forgiven for Christ's sake, not because of your election. Because God chose you from the beginning of the world, you are forgiven. No, you're forgiven for Christ's sake, right? It's through his blood. And once you have faith in that, then you have salvation. Then you become a part of the body of Christ. Now you are a member of the elect, okay? Uh, so that's what he's saying here, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, because they had trusted the gospel. Right? He's not sitting here saying, well, now you're elect of God, so you're going to trust the gospel. Right? It happens after the fact. You don't want to refer to elect after the fact. Right? Uh, so I wanted to deal with that in Calvinism because, again, that's a big topic in Christianity, in churches. Uh, and a lot of Calvinists will ask that question, or people will ask Calvinists that question, how do you know if you're elect? And they give the right answer. They say, well, if you're elect, you're going to trust the gospel. It's kind of backwards. Um, you're elect if you trust the gospel, not you will trust the gospel if you're elect. You kind of see how it's similar, right? So you say, well, why do you witness that God chooses who will be saved and who won't? They say, well, I don't know who's elect. And God chose for the elect to be saved and know their election by hearing the gospel. Right? So you see where they kind of have to backtrack and say the same thing you're saying to make it make sense, right? Uh, so I think that's, that's interesting. Uh, but continuing on here, uh, my last point there was you can be elect and know your election, which is what Paul says here, knowing your election. You can know that by being in Christ, right? which comes by faith in the gospel of his death and resurrection. All right, so again, Ephesians 1.13. You hear the word of truth, you trust it, you're sealed with the Spirit. That's how you know you're elect, right? if you've done that. And so verse uh Five, he says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, 
as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Uh, so you see our gospel. Uh, so again, what was that gospel? If you go back to Acts 17, verse 3. should have told you all to hold your place in Acts 17. Uh, but he says, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So the gospel is Jesus Christ, right, and his death and resurrection. Uh, so that is what Paul was preaching there in Thessalonians, right? That was the our gospel that they preached, uh, which no doubt was Paul's gospel. All right, he says in 1 Timothy 1.6, Uh, sorry, 116. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy first, that in me I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which would hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Right, so Paul again opposing Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus received grace. Right, he attained mercy that way first, right? Being the first uh, saved by grace, right, that way. Uh, not under the law, not keeping any law, right? He didn't repent and go to the priest to get forgiveness. He was going to persecute people who trusted in Christ. And he saved by grace there on the road to Damascus. He said in me first as a pattern. Right? So Paul was that pattern of those saved by grace. Right? He's not going preaching the kingdom of uh, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, so when he says our gospel there, it would have been his gospel that he was given. Right? By grace and the death and burial resurrection nothing else uh, and so Romans 16 25 he says my gospel right there in that verse and so Silas and Timothy traveling with him are going to be preaching Christ's death and resurrection in that alone uh, so that our gospel was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ but he says it came not in word only which I find interesting here because in Thessalonians uh, in Acts you don't see anything but the words that Paul preached all right, so he says it came not in word only, but in Acts 17, you only see that Paul alleged that Christ had to suffer and die and resurrect and that he is the Christ. So you only see the words that Paul preached when you read about this uh, starting of this church. But Paul says it didn't go to them in word only, uh, but in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. Right? That is how it came to them. And so this would have been the spirit gifts. Right, the power of the Holy Ghost, it would have been miracles and things that Paul and Silas and Timothy would have done to show the power behind their message. Right, It was God that gave them this message. That was the purpose of the Spirit gifts. It was to verify Paul's message was of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 4. Verse 1, he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's what Paul determined to know among the Corinthians. He said, I was weak with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So you see there, the purpose of the Spirit gifts were to show that this message is of God. Right? Paul wasn't up there uh, showing how everything was logical and how everything made sense, and he had this long message of philosophy to explain everything. 
He says, I determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. And I didn't do that with man's wisdom or with enticing words, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God and his power. Right? So in other words, it would have been like, this is the word of God that Jesus is Christ. He died for your sins, resurrected for your justification. And I can show you I have the Spirit of God and do a miracle to show you that this message is of God. Right? So he's not sitting there trying to give them enticing words and wisdom. He preached the gospel clearly and plainly, but also had the power of the Spirit to show them it was of God. In Galatians 2, verse 7 through 8, It says, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship for the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So you see that mighty in me, he's talking about the spirit gifts, right? The power of the Holy Ghost uh, that was upon him. And then you have Romans fifteen nineteen. It says, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout into Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So there it clearly says, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. All right, so those things accompanied Paul as he would preach the gospel. Right? And again, the purpose was to show them this is the message from God. Right? This is God's word. Right? Because otherwise, why would you really believe Paul? Prove to me that what you're saying is of God would have been what people would have wanted. So you see that power of the Spirit upon Paul. Uh, because again, Paul didn't have his epistles that he preached from. Right? He hadn't yet worked them. It's, it's different for us today. We have the complete Word of God. That's why we don't need the Spirit gifts. Right? Because we can be mature sons in Christ through the knowledge of the Word of God. Uh, we have that. Paul didn't. Right? He was being used to write that. Uh, so he had the Spirit of God and mighty signs and wonders to show what he was saying was from the Word of God. Uh, but we can make a contrast here in verses 3 and 5 between the Thessalonians and the Corinthians. So this is interesting. Uh, you saw in there in verse 3 we talked about their faith, love, and hope. The other place you see that is 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul is explaining to the Corinthians that there is something more excellent than spirit gifts. Right, because chapter 12, he deals with spirit gifts. Uh, and chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, he deals with the spirit gifts with the Corinthians. But he says at the end of chapter 12, I show unto you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way was charity. Right? And Paul's saying these are more excellent things than your spirit gifts because you're not even using the spirit gifts correctly. But here, he doesn't mention anything about spirit gifts to the Thessalonians, even though we just saw that his gospel came to them with the power of the spirit. So they knew what spirit gifts were. They saw Paul and witnessed them. They believed the gospel, so I would assume some people there in Thessalonica had spirit gifts. Or if the Corinthians did, which was Acts 18, the Thessalonians probably would have too. Or the Thessalonians would have. Uh, but you don't see Paul mention that at all. Why? Because they weren't focused on the spirit gifts. Or they were already doing the thing more excellent, which was the work of faith, labor of love, and their patience and hope. All right, so I found that interesting. We make that contrast 
In 1 Corinthians 3, 1, Paul says, I can't write unto you as spiritual after writing to you as babes in Christ, right? because you're focused on these carnal things and not the spiritual. Uh, and so you see he's dealing whole chapters with these issues in the Corinthians, whereas Thessalonians, he's saying, I thank God for you. You're an example, right? Because you get it, right? You trusted the word of God. You're not focused on the carnal things. And so you see that contrast that you can make between the Corinthians and the Thessalonians here. Uh, so I found that interesting. Uh, but he says, as you know what manner of men we were among you. Uh, and so the manner of men that they were was apostles of Christ, which he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 6. Uh, he says, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. All right? So you have three apostles here. Uh, and Paul says, you know what manner of men we were because we came to you not in word only, but also in the power of the Holy Ghost. Right? So again, that showed the Thessalonians that Paul, Silvanus, Timotheus were apostles of Christ. Right? They had the power of God upon them. What they were saying was true. Right? Uh, and so that has to do with the spirit gifts that they had showing what manner of men they were. Right? They were apostles of Christ. And so the Thessalonians knew that. And so we'll end there tonight at verse 5. Uh, but any thoughts or questions in the first five verses?